RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Rugby League strength coach Keegan Smith. Um, Keegan's a great guy, um, worked with some of the top clubs in Rugby League and some of the players he's mentioned he's worked with goes into depth his work with Sonny Bill Williams and, and Jared Hayne just to name a few. Um, unfortunately, and I do apologise for this, but uh, Keegan's based in Australia and I'm over in the UK and at the start the audio is really bad. Um, you can get little bits out of it, but please persist with it because after the first couple of minutes when the audio kicks in, it's it's fine, it's perfect the rest of the way through and there's so much good information about training, uh, rugby league, um, again, his work with Sonny Bill. Um, so really, really good interview and please persist with it and, and then let us know what you think. Hi Keegan, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Great to have you on. Uh, Keegan, just to start... Um, why don't you start by sort of telling us the, the, the rugby clubs you've worked at and some of the athletes you worked at as well outside of rugby? Yeah, right. Well, I was still at university, interning as it does for most guys. I had to work with the Paramount at that stage. So, uh, guys in their rugby league, you know, I had the chance to work with uh, Jamie Lyon, Jared Hay, who's just been in the NFL and you know, now trying to get to the Olympics and start with Fiji. It was a big uh, story constantly down here in. Uh, trader. Um, so it started out sort of interning and working with juniors and then uh, eventually ran some of the pre-season gym work uh, with the was uh, in my early 20s uh, and then uh, spent the next sort of six, seven years actually travelling the world and didn't do too much work with this league. Well, actually, actually I did uh, a year there with the London Broncos um, to be massage and sort of assistant strength and conditioning coach as, as a young guy. Then um, I took to, to travelling and uh, came back to it at 28 and stepped in with Caroline Dragons and worked there in the European Super League uh, for a couple of years. We had a couple of good seasons and that sort of brought the opportunity to move together with head coach uh, Trent Robinson back to the Roosters uh, in the NRL. So we signed uh, signed Williams shortly after that, which was a really great opportunity to, to work with him. And a lot of the really top guys in rugby league are a really good team. And uh, yeah, we managed to win pretty much everything during those two years, which was, uh, yeah, it was an exciting time. Uh, uh, but I guess it wasn't 100% on, on my passion. And I sort of always saw the elite teamwork as being a spring uh, through a bigger mission, a bigger journey, and, and sort of, yeah, since then I've uh, built my own business, which is a real moving project. I'm sure we'll get in. Uh, currently, yeah, after that, I had a consulting role with um, West Tigers, and uh, yeah, now I work with a player management group, uh, Kaiser and Hill, who have yeah, some, some top NRL guys, the juniors, and we uh, facilitate their development through uh, private channels. What we're up to now. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Obviously, loads of experience and work with some some great athletes there. Um, and I'd like to touch on what you said about um, when you went traveling because I've read about this a little bit. You went traveling and you kind of did things that perhaps other S and C coaches wouldn't do. Do you want to sort of expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, probably 
majority of you know people don't get the opportunity that I had there, and I do really feel super you know, grateful and thankful for the time that I was able to spend three uh, years in America, um, as well as a couple of years, a few years in, in Europe, uh, France and England and Germany. That was a nightmare. It was really like I guess the journeys of a rebellious young man trying to figure out you know what the role is in the world, what you know, what part I was going to play, making the world a place. Uh, and so I worked a lot of like community development programs, and, uh, local agriculture initiatives, and um, yeah, like some women's empowerment groups. And we were trying to yeah, trying to get organic farming projects, the local sustainability projects. And, um, yeah, I, I'm still passionate about all those things, but I guess it was um, stepping away from yeah, my studies in exercise science and that strength and conditioning gave me a broader perspective on you know, what elite sports about and you know I guess where where it all fits in the in the bigger picture of society and um, having having a positive impact on the world. Like uh, I came back to it, I guess a bit more mature from some of those challenges. You know, there was probably a few too many near death experiences and you know uh, tough times sleeping on hard floors in in poor places. Uh, that I guess. Yeah, had a big impact on on who I am, and probably gave me a little bit more confidence and resilience when it came back to dealing with the, the challenge of professional sport. Um, yeah, and and how do you think that um, that changed you as a strength coach as well? I think yeah, definitely more holistic. You know, it's time to breathe, time to think, and yeah, you know, I do believe that I have quite a different perspective on performance. Uh, to the majority of coaches, just purely based on on those challenges and those experiences, uh, it's it's about the life context of of the and of the society that we're part of. Like you know, players know that there is that bigger context behind you know why I'm doing what I do and how I support and influence them. And I think that you know that relationship and that connection is always the, the fundamental performance. Yeah, any performance coach should tell you that. Your connection to the athlete is going to be your key to success with it. And I guess the connection is just on different wavelengths when they know that um, really trying to influence them as a person and for the impact they're going to have on the way they deal with their family and friends. And, um, yeah, deeply into the nutrition stuff. Like I know everyone talks about nutrition, and you know, mostly sports nutrition. Probably most nutrition is, is absolute bullshit and, and a massive distraction from what most athletes should be thinking about, which is eating real food. And, uh, you know, the, the foundation, I guess, of, of most athletic nutrition is shit. And then we're looking at trying to put, you know, icing on the cake with nutrition, uh, supplements, place the protein checks, you know, around workouts and, and whatever. But, you know, what are they actually, what's the majority of what they're eating? Uh, what's the energy that they're doing? Where's from the soil with the grain in? If you don't, if you don't, researching the soil science and understand, you know, the difference between food that's grown in healthy soil and food that's grown in unhealthy soil, and you really don't know anything about nutrition. Um, and now when we, we get to that stuff with plants and we help them to, to make some shifts in those areas, you know, big things happen. You know, the, the results uh, are pretty clear for themselves. Like, you know, that was one moment with uh, 100% adherence and, and change, you know, with only, with a two-year journey, the team got from coming 13th year to, to you know, winning the, the minor premiership, the premiership, the World Cup challenge, 
and the minor premiership the following year, um, we won the club championship as well. You know, the club hadn't had that sort of success, uh, you know, ever. But you know, we, we also broke an all-time defensive record in the NRL for number of zeros that we kept other teams to. So, you know, there was some, some stuff there in the in the wash-up. And, I, you know, I'm, there's never one factor, you know. It's, you have to do with the player as a complete unit as well. And that was a big thing that Trent Robinson, you know, the head coach, I yeah, really believed in as well, and that's why I think we worked well together. And he was really about treating players as one, not having all the different things, trying to get their piece of the pie in at, the, at the consequence of the athlete or at the consequence of you know the the um, you know, pieces. You know, often the, everyone's competing to get the thing done. It's like what they're doing is the most important of the the speed coach and the strength coach, the, you know, the skills, and it's all kind of everyone's fighting for the athlete, whereas you know. Everyone wants that integrated approach, but it's very difficult to get. And I think we went further with it than a lot of professional teams do. And, yeah, it was exciting to see how much players changed, how much changed, how they moved, how they felt, how they thought about themselves, how they treated each other, um, who they you know, who they want to be, who they're going to want to be after footy, you know, where they are in society. Um, we created a, a powerful environment there, and you know, the, the results went with it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if you get that environment right and, and that culture, culture is a word used quite a lot. If you get that right, everything else buzz, kind of falls into place. That was amazing. Like, you know, it's not, it can't come down to one person. You know, one person can't create an environment that, you know, powerful winning environment. But like the, the culture that, that was created there, the buzz that was around, you know, the training games, uh, the belief that, that they had in an, in the club as a whole, you know, in the as a unit and, uh you know, each component of it. It was it was pretty special. You know, belief is belief is a is a powerful thing when you've got it on your side. Um, Abraham Lincoln had one of the best quotes, and he he's a guy who did a few things and, and got remembered. Uh, he, you know, he said that to believe in things you can see and touch is no belief at all. To believe in the unseen is a blessing and a triumph, and you know that's that's what it's about. Like when you can. You can believe deeply in things that you can't quite tangibly prove. You know, that's when you, you're really going to kick some ass. And you know, people call me out, you know, all the time about, you know, where's the science behind this and where's the double-blind studies with, you know, 50 drunk college students that prove that, you know, what you're talking about is true. Um, you know, you can – you're never going to find that data. And, and I'm not looking for that data, to be honest. You know, the, the data is, is what we saw there. And anyone who t- actually takes it on and experiences – you know, what life is like when you apply the principles that we're talking about. You know, you, you don't need someone to prove it to you the scientific st- um, Life's too complex for scientific studies to ever truly capture um, the, the complexity of the interactions of all the things that go into being as elite as possible, being the best version of yourself anyway. Yeah, yeah definitely. Now, obviously, at the Roosters, that was, that was after your kind of sabbatical and travelling, was it? Am I right? Yeah, so that, yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't so much a break as it was, it was you know something that had to happen. But yeah, that was uh, just you know 2013, 2014. So not too not too far back. Yeah, and and do you think that was like kind of the culmination? You know, obviously years experiences at other other places that kind of brought in with your traveling experience as well. That's what kind of led to you getting that right environment. Obviously, I know you said you're not the only one who's involved in that, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, I, I think I grew up a lot during that time. You know, when I went into France, the Catalan Dragons, like I'd spent 
you know, I left home when I was 21, you know, and it was, I was 28. So I'd, I'd done a lot of, done a lot of travel and, uh, you know, during that time I lived in the desert in the middle of Australia for six months, you know, I'd, I'd lived in, um, you know, Guatemala and working in orphanages and, and it was a very different life and I arrived to France not really knowing if I could handle being a strength and conditioning coach. I hadn't done it in, you know, seven years, you know, so, uh, and I'd only been an assistant at those stages and, you know, as much as I, I took quite a lot of responsibility when I was in London, I was, I was glad to be given that responsibility with, um, with their weights and, and bits and pieces, but it was a long time in between, you know, if you can imagine, uh, yeah, I, I, I started a lot of projects in Latin America and, and, you know, worked as a youth worker with indigenous communities in Australia. And it was difficult to stick those things out. And going to France, I didn't know if I could stick it out, you know. So that was kind of the first test. I didn't know if I'd be there three months and then just pack my bag and, you know, wander off backpacking again because that's kind of what I'd done with a lot of the challenges that I'd faced. Like there were things that I just couldn't deal with and couldn't change um, all through those journeys. So that's kind of what I expected or half expected in France. You know, I was... I was really glad that I was actually just able to stick it out for a year. I would only sign a one-year deal. You know, they wanted to sign two years, but um, I only really wanted a deal because I was just uh, – I just didn't know if I could be able to handle it, you know. Um, and fortunately, you know, I said Trent Robinson, who was the head coach, you know, and you can imagine what most head coaches would say if he said anything like that to him. Um, but he sort of knew that I was, you know – I'd been through all that stuff and I, I know he just he saw something in me and I still don't really know why I was fortunate enough to get that opportunity but, you know, yeah, I learned a lot in those two years, you know. I wasn't going in as an experienced coach who'd been working underneath a lot of great coaches, you know. I had a, a great mentor um, at Parramatta, Hayden Knoll, who he, he works with the Roosters now if he went in there as I left. Um, but he's been, you know, worked under my, my dad for, for 10 years. My, my dad's an NRL coach. So I'd always been in that environment. I guess that probably stood me in good stead for it as well. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I mean, things changed a lot over those two years at Dragons. And just before I came back to work with the Roosters, I actually went and spent 10 days with uh, Phil Richards. So I, I imagine a number of your uh, your audience would know Phil Richards. Uh, he's, uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, prominent. Sort of well. Yeah, yeah, you know him, so... Yeah, he, I spent 10 days with him. I was actually meant to fly out and do the uh, Poliquin PICP 3 and 4 um, in Rhode Island uh, before, their, before their split and all that. Um, but that was when the cyclones hit and I couldn't fly. So I looked for an alternative and I, I actually went from Germany where I'd spent some time with my wife's family in, in Germany and I flew to Wales to spend 10 days with... Uh, with Phil before I went back to Australia, and he, he kicked the you know he kicked the shit out of me in a way, you know he he really did um, shift me a little bit with what I was going to do going into the Roosters, and uh, I went in there with yeah with a quite a similar approach to, to what he'd done you know without having seen what he'd done you know he explained a lot of it to me and um, yeah we used like a conjugate sort of West Side influenced uh, template there especially that first year at the Roosters, um, and I went I went back and I you know I was definitely. Uh, much more aggressive and assertive uh, with the with the Roosters group initially, and uh, yeah, I mean we yelled and screamed and just about knocked the whole building down. The accounting department was just above the gym, and you know, one of our first sessions we you know, maxed out uh, clean and jerks, and guys hadn't done that much clean and jerking before, uh, but you know they were seeing what each other were doing, and you know we we taught technique the best we could, and things were things you know if, if the lift was safe, then we we kept it going and. Um, 
yeah, one of the guys clean and jerked 120 kilos, which is not a not a mass lift by any means. Uh, but early in our first preseason, uh, that was something that most of the Roosters guys had never seen before, and they they bloody jumped all over each other, and you know nearly tore the building down. And um, the accounting department didn't know what was what was going on, but it kind of became a bit of a normal thing that you know there, there was a lot of energy um, in the gym, and you know I I encouraged that you know emotion and expression, and initially I guess a lot of it came from me yelling and screaming and carrying on. And I'm naturally more of an introverted, quiet sort of guy. Like it, it's. No, I never used to like public speaking or, um, you know, speaking, you know, dealing with a group of, of rugby players was pretty intimidating for me. Um, but, you know, I had to be who I had to be to get things done there and that's that's who those players needed. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll always be grateful for the influence that Phil had on um, just that the way I programmed and the way I ran the environment. And, you know, I know that that's a big part of why I was able to have that result. And, you know, I've said it to Phil a number of times, but hopefully it gets back to him again from this because, you know, I'm always going to be grateful. I know that a lot of great things have come for me off the back of uh, those, you know, those results and what we did there. Yeah, that's cool. And now you've got a unique insight in that you've worked in rugby in the UK, you said at Catalan and also in Australia. Culturally, is there any difference or is is the rugby environment just the rugby environment wherever you go? Uh, yeah, it's always different, but you know, it's always going to be different between teams and coaches, and you know, everywhere's got its history and its energy. You know, between different cities, and um, yeah, it, it definitely very different. It was it was great to work with the French guys. To be honest, I really loved working with the, the French juniors there, and uh, it was good to see. You know, quite a few of the guys actually ended up becoming Super League players, and you know, they hadn't had too much success with their young kids coming through, and we had a batch there. You know that. Some of them are playing now, getting some, some good results with the, the Dragons, but quite a lot of them you know, got to, to England and are playing over there. I love working with those guys, I think. Uh, and I don't know, yeah, a lot of English people spend a bit of time in the south of France, but it's, it's almost like stepping back in time. Like Family units are really close, and the guys are like really close mates. Like It's almost coming from Australian culture. You know, you'd almost uh, question sexuality, you know, like they're that close. You can see they really love each other, and they just express it more than you know what would be socially acceptable i think in in australia and england's probably a little bit more aggressive in some ways in the way people relate to each other in the the rugby league environment um but yeah yeah like i i really love that in the in the south of france um roosters was actually a a, you know it was almost a, a kiwi you know you know we had a lot of new zealand guys um guys with polynesian backgrounds uh, so the Aussies were kind of the uh, the exception almost, and I, I enjoyed that too. You know, I'm a guy who's travelled a lot, so it, I probably wouldn't have gone to any other job in rugby league other than the one in France because it meant that I was going to be speaking French, you know, as my first language. I'd, I'd learned Spanish during my travels and you know bits of German, and I wanted the challenge of you know learning French. So you know, I took that on, and you know, I, I loved that, and I guess. Coming back to work in Australia, it was nice to have a lot of guys from other backgrounds, and you know, a lot of them had sort of impoverished or tough backgrounds. You know, somewhat similar to some of the places where I'd been traveling, and I think that helped me to identify with with the, with the guys and connect maybe a little bit more, or just have a little bit more empathy for where they're where they're coming from. Uh, I think you know, it's probably not my strong point, but you know, your compassion and your empathy for for players, I believe, is is the key now. Yeah, the old school style of uh, drill sergeant and just you know ex- 
respect my authority. You're going to do what I tell you to do and you're going to win because of what I tell you to do. Like I think that mentality is, is kind of drifting away and it, it, you know, it really has to be about empowering the individual and you know, I, was, I was there to serve the player. That's something I learned from Hayden Knowles and I you know, would recommend for any coach that's getting started, you know, take that attitude that you're there to serve the player and in your initial conversation, you say, "What, you know, what, what would you like me to do for you? What would you, you know, what would you like to get done here? What can I help you with?" Um, and if you're starting from that perspective, then you know you're going to find that athletes or private clients, you know, either way, uh, are going to be a lot more responsive to the things that you offer them because you're solving their problem rather than you know just uh, telling them what to do. Um, but yeah, every, everywhere was a little bit different. Every player's got their thing, but. Yeah, I like the, the international nature of uh, the, the groups that I worked with. I think I was lucky in that way. Yeah, definitely. You always get that that crazy group of Polynesian guys. Who always a good laugh, aren't they? <laughs> um, yeah, there were some funny times. Yeah, so like talking about individual players, like you mentioned, uh, you know Jared Hayne and Sonny Bill Williams, all, all the players you've worked with. Who were some of like the you know the hardest workers in the gym, the, the toughest trainers? Yeah, I mean Sonny. Sonny was ready to do whatever you, you told him, uh, questioning things and, and, and thinking about it. But uh, he, yeah, he, he was the, f- the first one in there in a lot of days and the guy in there on days off and the last guy to leave the field. And uh, He brought a lot of ethic to the, to the team and you know, as a, a non-drinker, um, he had a powerful influence on the, on the collective. You know, the, the players decided three months out from the finals that we, they weren't going to for the rest of the season uh, until the playoffs, basically. And, you know, that's probably, I would say they would probably be the only team in, in rugby league history to ever make a decision like that. The, the playing unit, you know, the players decided to, to do that. Uh, obviously, we'd been trying to influence them to, towards, you know, good positive decision-making from the start of the, you know, from the start of the season, from our beginning. And I dare say Trent Robertson may have planted some, some thoughts with a couple of guys uh, before that, thing was you know ratified by the leadership group and passed down into the uh to the team but you know that was that was huge it was huge for the self-belief of the group and uh, to make that sort of sacrifice was, was massive and i think having you know someone who's a you know, one of the key members of the team who's a you know, vocal non-drinker you know, I, th- I think that helped uh and yeah, you know, it made it okay for Roger Tuovasashek and, you know, Toops and some of the younger players who played really well for us, you know, it was fine for them to do it, play it however they wanted to, you know, that sometimes young players get bullied into being heavy drinkers and I know that happened to Sonny as a young player um, and to not have that in our culture was, was really nice. There were a couple of guys there who, you know, definitely wanted to drink when they got the opportunity. Pretty big shift and pretty big sacrifice uh, to get off it for that amount of time, um, yeah, there's a lot of drug dependence in, in rugby league, just like society as a whole, uh, prescription, non-prescription, social, um, whichever whichever way. You know, drugs are a big part of elite sport, and uh, yeah, they, they were, you know, we were no exception, but we we made some shifts with that stuff. We tried to get off as much of the prescription stuff. You know, I encouraged guys to get off as much prescription stuff as they could and um, as much of the social stuff as they could and uh, yeah, it, it, that was that was powerful um, yeah I mean Sonny, Sonny was a great trainer Boyd Cordner you know he's a really great trainer really committed uh, young kid 
probably you know still uh, you know wanting wanting to solve those lifestyle you know, questions was a, was a big challenge for him. You know, a young guy probably always thought it was just about footy, but he's had you know lots and lots of injuries, and unfortunately just got injured again with State of Origin um, a couple of nights ago. And yeah, it's a, it's a shame, but that's sort of. Um, Sometimes goes with the decisions that guys make. Um, yeah, uh, most guys most guys train hard for you. If you set the environment and you you know if you if you care about what results they're going to get and you're writing things down and you you buzzing it up and you're telling them what other guys got or you, you know you play your cards and play the games that need to be played uh, to make it exciting and to get the best out of guys. Uh, yeah, nine out of ten guys that I've worked with would do anything and, and, and do it as best they can. Um, there is always that thing of having that extra decision of you know, really taking yourself as far as you can go that it's hard to instill in guys where they want to do that extra bit for themselves. Um, a lot of those young French guys were really good with it. You know, we really encouraged that and they, they took it on. They did extra, you know, extra footwork drills, extra skills work. You know, they wanted to stay on the field a bit longer, go and do extra video, um, come and try and do extra weights. You know, that's... It's great when you you know you're around those guys who, who want to do that extra bit, and you know that that's you know you're winning culture-wise when when players are starting to take some ownership of whether they make it or not. Yeah, I think you touch on a key one there is that that competition you create, whether it's you know chasing numbers. That sometimes it's not always the answer, but if if it creates that competition in the gym, then you're onto a winner, aren't you? If you're not in there to improve the numbers, then you know what are you what are you in there for? Like part of it's around injury prevention, but if you're doing a movement, you want to be doing it as well as you can. You know, so you got to obviously be the quality control on that and and say well, you know that's it's not a good enough rep, even if you've made it. But um, yeah, I mean we we love that competition. You know, we did it around vertical jump and standing long jump, and you know, uh, yeah, you bring you bring a game into the gym, and all of a sudden you know people are producing. 5, 10, 15% more than what they're going to produce without it. Sometimes you don't want that. You want to keep things calm and save it for the weekend. But, um, you know, you, if you – I believe that, you know, everyone has a lot more force in them than what they're actually able to express, you know, whether it's speed, power or, you know, maximum force. It's really about disinhibiting the body and teaching it that it can do it, teaching it that it's safe to produce that much force. You know, so sometimes you need that extra mental – cattle prod of you know competition or um, yeah they, they, those pressures bring out a little bit more from people and I think the more often you bring that out the more often it's going to be there you know it's going to be there on game day if you if you keep bringing it out in blokes you know, through the week as well yeah now I saw um, Sonny Bill Williams testimonial for you and he said that um, he, he doesn't normally do weights but but you got him to now just tell us a bit about that yeah I mean he yeah, he's, he's, he's you know he's naturally a muscular guy. You know, he, he looks he looks the the picture, and I guess because of that, you know, he's been allowed to you know just play his rugby and rugby league and get the results that he's got. You know, it's hard to hard to criticise, but you know we yeah. I mean, he came back and he wasn't where he wanted to be. You know, and you could see that from his first few footy games that he just didn't have that strength power. That he needed, and so you know he bought in, and we worked really hard um, on you know on a lot of things, and you know, he'd had a lot of issues with his body. You know, it's, it's pretty well known that you know he'd had that degenerative knee type talk uh, from pretty early in his career, and um, he'd had some some serious back issues, and he'd come to us just off the back of a pec tear. You know, so 
for us, it was about building resilience and, you know, he understood that we weren't doing the weights to make him big. We were doing them to help his performance, you know, to help him produce more force, pr- produce that force quicker and uh, to make him more resilient so he wouldn't get those, those injuries and niggles and, you know, gradually over the course of the two years, you know, his, his performances in the gym improved and he became a lot more resilient and you know, some of those issues that he thought were going to shorten his career, you know, um, became less and I think that's, you know, that's why, um, you know, we formed a really tight bond. He was probably the, the player that I was closest with out of the group and it, you know, maybe probably because his attitude to, to excellence and wanting to, you know, do things bigger and better um, but also, you know, because we got a, we got a result there and you know, I think it, it's... Uh, a small piece of the pie while he's, while he's able to do what he's doing now. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, we had quite a bit of contact going into the, he's going into the World Cup and, you know, we, we stay in touch um, a little bit here and there. And it was it was great to have that connection with him. I, I think he probably has moved away from uh, some of that weight training again. I, I know that... Um, yeah, different teams and different strength and conditioning coaches will always have different approaches. I think it made such a big impact for him because he hadn't put too much effort into it for a while, and he got a lot out of you know seeing himself go from you know, one of the guys who you know wasn't at the top of the pack. You know, he jumped in at the end of our first preseason, so I you know I'd had those. We had quite a long preseason that first year, and you know we, we'd worked really hard with the guys with a lot of maximal lifting. Um, and he sort of came in and saw everyone, and you know, I think he was a little bit, um, you know, a little bit intimidated by it, or he didn't really want to be a part of the mix, you know. So I coached him individually initially to to help get things up to speed, and um, eventually, you know, he, he really he got into it. He enjoyed the the competitive environment. He hit some some good numbers on his lifts, and you know, became um, yeah, really you know one of the boys with that and, and leading the way in in some things. Um, yeah, you know, everyone loves seeing themselves get better, and he's definitely no exception to that. So that's that's pretty addictive when you when you show people, yeah, well, you're improving, and and if if they feel it on the field as well, then you know, it's it's self perpetuating. Yeah, for sure. Now, this is a question we ask all our guests on the podcast. Um, what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? Uh, the biggest mistake is probably fucking up the chemistry of the body, you know, with, with all the drugs, you know, it's, whether it's alcohol, coffee, cigarettes, you know, or the other stuff that, you know, they get from the pharmacy, uh, sleepers, painkillers, you know, antidepressants. Um, I think that's the biggest mess up going on right now in professional sport. Um, and it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's so... Um, prevalent in professional rugby rugby league at the moment it's it's really you know, it's really scary and it's not the way it should be it's definitely damaging guys health and um, i think it contributes to the suicide rates that we see in, in players and you know, that's one of the first things that i said or <clears throat> at least the point that i always made with with athletes that i was working with was the number one priority is that nobody dies that i'm working with and you know, sometimes guys would giggle and think you know what's, what's he talking about you know like um but, you know, it, it's something that happens. It's something that happens pretty much every year now. Junior NRL players, the 20s or, or NRL guys, you know, someone can't see a way out of the situation they're in. And, you know, often that stuff plays a huge role 
also you know, non-supportive social environments, you know, staff who are, who are not who are you know not being on the same team as their athletes. You know, a lot of clubs still have the you know, army kind of mentality of you know you you're going to do it because I tell you to do it. Um, but yeah, that that's probably the biggest one. Um, yeah, the the mindset stuff is probably the other one, and then neither of them are probably what most S and Cs talk about. You know, I could talk about we don't do enough maximal strength work, we don't do enough posterior chain work, and um, I don't know. It's probably different in, in rugby. You know, rugby union in England I think has a big emphasis on maximal strength. It's probably a bit different to the clubs that I've been at, but um, that mindset thing of realizing that the community that you create is the most powerful thing. Uh, in, in your place is, is probably the, the other big one that's massively underestimated. You know, I, I created a community of, of strength coaches a couple of years ago and the idea was that it would be a business and you know, something that would serve me um, to, you know, to look after my family um, and also to get, you know, to get great results with, with guys, help them get into professional teams, help them feel um, confident, know technically what they needed to, to, to get to that level. Um, but yeah, to, to run a business. But the biggest thing that it's actually come out of it is just being connected to a great bunch of people has just been massively life enhancing for me. You know, it's it's been a huge growth experience just to be around people who are trying to improve themselves all the time. And I think that's the biggest challenge. You know, you can get players wanting to improve themselves, uh, then then you're winning. You know, get them wanting to work for you, uh, and that that culture and buzz that goes with that. Uh, Give them the experience of being better than they were yesterday. You know, that's the hashtag I use, better than yesterday. You know, give them that experience as, as often as possible with as many things as possible. People think because it's maybe not 100% sports specific that it's not performance enhancing. You know, anything where you enhance someone's self-belief is performance enhancing. Right? I don't give a shit what it is. If you, can, if you can get people doing things that they thought were impossible for them, then it's performance enhancing. If that person, that athlete doesn't think he's a good reader, and you get him reading books and realizing he's not a freaking idiot. That's performance enhancing. He's going to be a better player for you, and he's going to be more connected to you. You know, my brother's just gone. He's the head coach at Bradford Bulls now. Those guys are back up into Super League. Where my, my dad actually coached him when they first went into Super League. He's just gone to Bradford Bulls, but at Gold Coast, uh, he was at the Titans and as, as an assistant just before he went over there. And he had a book club going. It started with photocopying a few pages for one player that he thought would help him and it became you know six or eight players that were stealing books off his shelf in his office you know on a regular basis taking them and talking to each other about what they've been reading and um, you know they they've been overachieving the titans and you know uh you can't correlate it to how many books your club reads to what how many games you're going to win but Whenever you're giving people that experience that they're capable of more than what they thought they were, then then you're winning, you know. So, uh, you know, we, we we did juggling, we did handstands, uh, we, you know, we played all, all sorts of different games and challenges. There was always a challenge in every session. You know, it might be wide grip chin-ups into close, uh, wide grip pull-ups into close grip pull-ups into underhand chin-ups, you know, total for max reps. Might be the finisher of the session. It's one set, but it means that there's a challenge within that session. There's an opportunity for guys to express themselves and and to be challenged. And uh, we did that. We, we did that every session. Um, we try to bring it into pre you know warm ups before before field sessions as well. You know we would do that. Um, so they're my big two. I, I snuck an extra one in there, but you know that optimizing the chemical environment and and you know moving away from 
the shit that's that's bringing people down in society, but also you know with our elite athletes is is one that I'm really passionate about, and it just makes a ten you percent know, difference in performance. Where we're looking for one percent or half a percent here and there, that the change in that is massive. Even Ed Cohen, you know, powerlifters will talk about ten percent improvement when you get that shit out of your lifestyle. Um, so that's that's you know, something I believe very powerfully in and deeply in, and uh, the yeah the the mindset stuff of just continually giving guys wins and showing them that they're they're more than what they thought they were they're more, they can do more than they thought they could yeah that's great i think one thing that's come over the more and more podcasts i've done with you know strength coaches is that it's more that human touch it's you know it's getting yep. get finding ways to get the best out of them motivate them you know keep them enthused and, and sometimes programming goes out the window just to get that but it's it's more important in the long run yeah, program to build the environment. People think, you know, you're fucking crazy if you say stuff like that. You know, you're meant to be a strength and conditioning coach, but program to manipulate your environment. If your session's not going to create a great environment, rewrite the session. I don't care. You know, write it to fit the gym that you're in, the equipment that you've got, and write it so that when guys do it, they're going to feel a, a huge buzz. They're going to feel like they're, they're invincible. They're going to feel like they've done stuff they couldn't do before. Um, and they're going to go out and do the same thing on the weekends. You know, that's, that's what I believe in. Yeah, you, st- you still got your principles of strength and conditioning under that, but someone who thinks they're going to win a competition based on you know copying principles out of Russian texts, you know the Russians understood it as well. You know if you look at um, you know Verkashansky's research on plyometrics, he says if you don't put a target for the athlete to reach, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so you know everyone talks about plyometrics and stuff, but no one talks about that. You got to keep prodding them for numbers. If you're not screaming the number out of what they get. When they, you know, when they make a lift or when they do a jump or whatever, if you're not asking them, hey, today I need eight blokes to do a number they haven't done before. I need eight PBs. If you're not asking for that, you won't get it. I guarantee you. If you ask for it, you'd be very surprised at how much improvement you can get and how much engagement you get. Yeah, it's so great. Uh, uh, it makes it fun for the coach as well. If you're buzzing, if you're not buzzing about a session, I guarantee you the players aren't going to be either. You know, you got to. You got to bring that. You know, you may be able to sleep, squeak by occasionally where you're not the most excited guy in the room, but you, know, you, you generally want to be there and, and be excited about it. And I know that when I programmed a month stuff in advance, and you know, players had already done the session two or three times, you know, there's the excitement level there. No one's going to be as excited about that. You know, if you can be, then maybe it'll work for you. But for the most part, you know, you got to give. There's got to be a place in there where people can express themselves. And yeah, you know, I copy that off Mark Bitkin. He's you know one of the most successful coaches there in in Great Britain in, in the rugby rugby union rugby league sort of scene. Works with Wigan, I think, still. Yep. Uh, yep. One of his former players actually said to me, "Hey, I, I used to have Mark Bitkin. He's the best strength coach I've worked with. I never repeated the same session." Yeah. And I was like, "You what? You never repeated the same session? How, the, how, the, how, do you, how do you do that in strength and conditioning? Like, it's all about building on what you've just done. You know, it's all about consistency, adaptation. Does this guy not know anything? You know, what's what's going on here? No periodization. What you know? How how are we getting you know, consistently so physical? And how's he? You know, how's he got the record that he's got? You know, and I know he's worked with England rugby as well. And Steve Mack, uh, who's, who was the England coach, you know, worked with him and had huge raps on him and." Um, yeah, he's always a guy that I really respected, and hearing that, I was like, "Shit!" Like, and this player, this player was, you know, deeply impacted by that, touched by it. And he, you know, he, this guy was like 37, I think, at that time. He was playing at Toulon in France, and I went and visited Toulon uh, rugby with Steve Walsh, who's another guy who's influenced me quite a bit. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was blown away by that, and so you know, I did it, and uh, and it, and it worked, you know, and. 
I still, you know, you still have consistency. You still have threads of things that you're continuing. And you work under the same logic, but you never, if you're never repeating the same session, uh, you know, it worked. You go into an environment excited and, uh, you know, it works. It's not the only way to do things. There's definitely no one way to do this stuff. Uh, that's the art of what we do, which is, uh, yeah, both sides are exciting. I love the science, but if you're not thinking about the art, then you're missing out. Yeah, definitely. Keegan, tell us a bit uh, more about the, the Real Movement Project and what you're doing now. Yeah, so I, that humanitarian side of what I do has always sort of been there. Like I, I always wanted to change the world. And as much as you know, winning NRL competition was, was a big thing and it you know, helped me to have a bit more impact, uh, my ambition is to give everybody on earth the opportunity uh, to, to live by that philosophy of better than yesterday. Uh, and most people haven't been brought up in an environment where that that's there. Like the like better than yesterday. Like, are you really? How many, how many people do you know who are actually consciously decided that they want to improve every single day for the rest of their life? Uh, yeah, there's there's not that many, and that's that's just what I've decided to dedicate the rest of my life to um, until I think of something better to do. You know, that's that's what you should do. Find a problem and keep trying to solve it until you find a, a better one or a one that fulfills you. I think that's a that's a fulfilled life. Uh, I feel uh, I'm enjoying chasing after it. What do we do? Yeah, we we run workshops. We've got one coming up in Ireland that you, know, you want to mention. One in France, but that one's going to be in French. Um, then a four day intensive in Spain. Um, we teach we teach uh, a lot of stuff that's not really well taught in strength and conditioning. Things that I actually some a lot of it I've actually learned since I left the Roosters. But there's some from that time as well. But now we teach. Uh, there's a big emphasis on mobility. There's a big emphasis on holistic nutrition, uh, next level sort of mindset stuff around sort of you know, manifesting your future and uh, you know, meditation and you know, modulating your own hormones through, through techniques of you know, breathing and, and thought stuff. Um, and you know, we, teach, we teach force, you know, power, basic lifts, and basics of programming. Now, this is what we do in the two-day workshops. And then the four-day ones are really like masterminding. So, you know, we're bringing together coaches from around the world. Uh, we just recently did one in Bali. That's the one that's going to be in Spain soon. We do Byron Bay pretty often, which is the best place in Australia, in my, my opinion. That's where I'm talking from right now. Um, yeah, we, you know, those four days, it's like a masterminding thing where we bring people together who are already on this wavelength of trying to be the best they can be. And then we, you know, we talk about what needs to happen. Uh, and a lot of it's around business as well as the physical stuff and self-development and, you know, what's your biggest barrier and uh, getting, getting shit up, getting emotional stuff out of the way so that, you know, we can express ourselves more fully um, is sort of what goes on on those, those four-day uh, adventures. And then, yeah, we run webinars each week. We have a Facebook group. You know, we do physical testing. Uh, we support each other's growth in you know, social media and building websites. And it's basically everything that you need to do to to have a big impact. I'm just trying to help people have more impact. And you know, collectively now we're we're reaching tens of thousands of people. You know, probably hundreds of thousands of people every day. You know, there's a lot of guys there who've got you know ten thousand, fifteen thousand you know, member social media. Uh, followings and you know we all sort of leverage and share each other's stuff and um, yeah I'm not I'm not ashamed of that you know like this is this is what it's about it's about trying to change the world and we've got this opportunity at the moment with some free advertising uh, opportunities and you know if, I guess we can we can get ideas out we can get content out um, to to give people a different perspective on this thing because 
you know, the dominant paradigm when I grew up was, you know, a lot of stuff was driven by fear. A lot of stuff was trying not to fail, um, even, the, you know, trying to win. You know, it's never been about trying to win. Even at the Roosters, you know, I, t- I told Trent Robinson, it's not, I'm not here because I want to win. I'm here because I want to see improvement every day um, in myself and, and in the guys. And, you know, that's what we went for. And I think when you get on that creative plane, you know, Bob Proctor's a huge influence of mine. He's an American success kind of philosophist and, uh, you know, he, he sort of talks about, you know, you can either be on the competitive plane or the creative one and the creative one is where amazing shit happens. So, you know, trying to get away from that idea of competing against other businesses and competing against other lifts or whatever and just think about, you know, best case scenario, if you applied yourself every day for the rest of your life, like where could you get to? Um, and that's that's kind of how I try and start, you know, every day and uh, what, I, what I'm trying to do. So... Trying to express things physically that make people go like shit. Yeah, maybe this guy is worth listening to. And I'm trying to build a community of, you know, uh, facilities and people that, that do the same thing. You know, we work with 40 plus facilities around the world now. Uh, we want, you know, we want some of those facilities to be seven-figure, you know, facilities. You know, in, in Aussie dollars, you know, making 500,000 quid plus a year. You know, is what we're working towards because. I know if we, they're making that money, then the influence that's going to be had by them and by the community is, is going to be massive. So, yeah, things have shifted. I used to be kind of scared of money and anti-money, and I've never had any background in business. But you know, now I, I run, you know, I run a decent-sized business with a few employees, and you know, making a lot more money than I could have ever imagined. Um, you know, I, I, you know, we had success at the Roosters, and the opportunity that was there to to make some some really good money more than I could imagine. Um, but I, I stepped away from it to do this thing because I'm, you know, it's it's what I'm passionate about, and I know that we're going to link back and we're going to we're going to run the strength and conditioning for a lot of elite athletes. Uh, I want to work with some Olympic teams going into the next Olympics and some Olympic athletes, um, and and yeah, some some team sports as well. So yeah, that's what we're we're building towards. We're, we're building the group of coaches and the training systems and the culture um, to do that. It's early days. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited for the future. We're two years in. I'm 33. Uh, I'm excited for what things are going to look like when I'm 35. We're four years into this thing. Yeah, that's that's really exciting, and uh, sounds like it's it's already going very well for you. Um, where where can people learn more about you? Yeah, I mean, if you look up Real Movement Project, you're going to find a lot of stuff from us. Uh, RealMovementProject.com. We've got Real Movement Project on uh, on Facebook. There's still some Keegan Smith stuff out there. Instagram, Facebook, uh, Keegan Smith. Uh, yeah, basically always posting things that I think will contribute to coaches getting better results and uh, athletes getting better results. Snapchat, Keegan Smith Live. I'm loving Snapchat at the moment. I don't know if it's big over there in the UK, but it's actually a lot more fun than uh, the other social medias. You just kind of let it, let it flow. Uh, but yeah, we're there on Instagram and and uh, yeah, we're trying to get messages out as, as much as we can or as, as well as we can. Good stuff. So yeah, that's kind of the probably the best ways uh, to, to to do this stuff. Uh, yeah, growing our team all the time. So if you know if this fully resonates with you, then get in touch and, and we'll see if there's a connection that we can make. Uh, helped a lot of guys to get into professional sports teams or open facilities, and uh, I want to do a lot more of that. You know, that's what I left the NRL to do, and that's what I'm I'm loving doing. So. 
Awesome, and of course we'll share all the all the links to all your social uh, on when we send the podcast out. But Keegan, thanks, thanks ever so much. It's been uh, you know really enlightening to hear you know all your experiences and and um, again highlighting that importance of the the human touch when it comes to dealing with with strength and conditioning. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on, and yeah, thanks for the amazing work that you're doing. Like, it's not about real moving project. I guess it's a, it's really about better than yesterday. And everyone who's living by that, you know, you don't get up early in the morning to to make podcasts if you're not trying to improve the world and improve yourself. So, you know, well done to you and to all your audience. And you know, looking forward to connecting more in the future. I'm going to be over there in England uh, visiting my brother in, uh, in a couple of months. So hopefully, we'll get the chance to catch up, or maybe you'll uh, come down and get some sun in Spain. Who knows? But yeah. <laughs> Thanks heaps for having me on and hope we, uh, we get to spend some more time together in the near future. Yeah, definitely. Keegan, absolute pleasure. Thanks, mate. Champion, talk to you soon. So there you go. Uh, I hope you persisted and got through that bad audio at the start and I'm sure you'll agree it was a, it was a great interview. Lots of information there from Keegan and we'd like to thank him. Um, really interesting, I thought he said about the variety uh, and how that gets a lot out of the guys. Um, Obviously, he said you need some consistencies so you can adapt and show progression, but also that variety just creates competition and makes things a bit more fun as well. And that's one of the things we, we like to put in with the Rugby Renegade programming, uh, which if you haven't joined up, uh, please sign up at www.rugbyrenegade.com. Uh, at the moment, we're giving away a free nutrition uh, ebook uh, on sign up. Uh, so it's a great, great time to get involved, especially with preseason coming up uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, get in shape, ready for the season. Otherwise, we've got loads of ebooks um, if you want to fit your training around uh, the Southern Hemisphere season. And of course, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more podcasts on the way. Uh, so please sign up whether you use Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or obviously iTunes. Please subscribe to us and give us a good review. And we'll keep them coming. Until next time. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.